and uh, come together to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, this morning. We can take uh, time out of the year, a moment when we have determined that we're going to remember what our mothers mean to us, what they've done for us, and Lord, all the aspects that they show of your great love for us, your mercy, your grace. Lord, at the same time, sometimes your discipline, and uh, Lord, we thank you for that. And even in those areas where we might feel like our mothers have failed, remembering that, Lord, how many times have we failed? Uh, God, we're thankful that Jesus died on the cross, that his blood covers every sin, that he will take away all the shame. Lord, that you forgive us and you cast our sin into the sea of your forgetfulness. And Lord, we thank you for that. We pray you'd be with us today as we look into this topic together. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. And we're going to take up the topic of grace again. This is only about the second, second or third uh, time we've looked at this topic. I've got maybe one more message, one more time we're going to hit the Holy Spirit. And uh, then we'll move on. I um, believe that probably the next uh, study we do will be a book study in Daniel. And we'll alternate Daniel and grace, and uh, that will be a good combination because I'm drawn toward Daniel because of how fast everything is moving, and it seems to me how close we are getting to the end, and it just seems like in, not only in our world, but also in our own country, in our society, we've come full circle from first century to 21st, and a lot of things apply there, and you know, we'll talk about uh, some of those things. But uh, somebody reminded me today, a phrase I will often use, that if it's not practical, it's not preaching. So we want to give you some practical things today. I had the opportunity to speak a word at Pastor Sam Shockley's funeral yesterday. And we sang a song today, it had the phrase in it, hope that won't let go. Well, that, that is the message of Sam's life, as well as what we're going to look at today, Grace. And I think that people who preach an individual salvation only as a fire escape from hell, they have a defective gospel. They've got a deficient view of grace. I mean, there's so much more to everlasting life. And yet we have thousands of people who profess to be saved and they are not living with any recognition of God. They're not living with any reliance on his grace. They're not living with any respect for the judgment seat of Christ. So they say they believe, but they only live for the moment. They say they believe, but they only live for the election. They say they believe, but they only live for the decision. They say they believe, and yet, and yet they live without any hope that God has given us for the future. So what I propose today, and this is a thesis for our study, is that all of our defects of faith can be traced to a deficient view of God's grace. We have an eternity to be prepared for in this life. Think about that. Because we learn right now how to trust in God's grace, not just saving grace, but, but study the adjectives attached to that noun. We, we learn about sanctifying grace, gifting grace, abounding grace. We learn about hoping in grace and strengthening grace and establishing grace. In other words, what Peter describes here as manifold grace. 
So we've got to bring ourselves to understand the reality of God's grace if we're going to reach our community. So in order to do that, one of the things that the New Testament teaches is how all believers have been given an inheritance, given one inheritance and given the opportunity to earn another. So by way of introduction, let me explain the experience of the double inheritance of the saints. Romans 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then number one, heirs of God, period. But also, number two, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So this number one, there is a natural inheritance to the believer whenever he becomes a child of God. So first, verse 17 says, we are heirs of God unconditionally. So what does every believer inherit? Well, you inherit everlasting life. You get new life right now, which extends from now into eternity, everlasting. And the only condition is for you to be born again by believing Jesus for for that everlasting life. But you know, the amazing uh, thing, as amazing as that, that, that is, verse 17 says, we are secondly joint heirs with Christ if we fulfill one condition. So number two, there's a royal inheritance received from suffering to serve in this life. And the shift in prepositions shows you the contrast. We are heirs of God unconditionally by the new birth, but we're only heirs with Christ based on what we do after the new birth, 2 Timothy 2.10. But you do know that the terrible condition that we live in today is that our society demands not to suffer. We demand a medication, not a vitamin, because we don't want to wait. We want the solution right now. But check this. It's our first point for study. If you become a joint heir with Jesus Christ, then you will be co-glorified with him. So in Colossians 3, verse 24, God offers a Christian the reward of the inheritance if you will put off the old man with his deeds, verse 9, and renew your knowledge in the word of God in order to put on the new man with his deeds, verse 10. So this second inheritance, in essence, is a reward for discipleship. It's not automatic, and it's not earning your salvation. It is earning your crown at the judgment seat of Christ. That is the only way for you to inherit the glory of God. And it's the only way for you to continue to serve, though depressed, Though anxious, though bipolar, through PTSD, despite past abuse, is to do it through grace. Because here's our second point for study. God's grace brings into fusion the future inheritance and your present need for divine resources. It just does. And so I want us to unfold the doctrines of grace as God's mothering grace for this Sunday because that is what Peter's trying to communicate here in his first epistle. He writes to suffering saints who recognize they're only pilgrims on this planet. They're strangers. Their, their citizenship is not here. So can you get into this with me? 
Because anything we have, anything we can become, will always be owed and attributed to grace. Say it won't be how good we are. It won't be our willpower. It won't be how strong we got, but it may be how strong grace made us. So Peter writes to those of us struggling with the bittersweet realities of life. He says, because we are saints who are selected. Watch, watch. Verse verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers. And they're scattered abroad through Missouri and Kansas and Europe and Asia and even Russia. And they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Stop. Did you notice how it takes the whole trinity in order to bring you this manifold grace? It takes the Father's planning in eternity past about how he could get you saved in the first place. It takes the Holy Spirit in the present, working conviction in your heart, drawing you to be saved, and it took the Son in history, providing for you being saved. So notice how Peter ends verse 2 with a key prayer request. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Sometimes opposition becomes the bucket to bring you grace. Sometimes our haters are the elevators to, to level us up to grace. Sometimes disappointment is the dispenser which contains grace. So when we turn tail and run from a bad marriage, our hard job, or any painful situation for the sake of our own happiness, we deny ourselves some of the grace that God wants to multiply. So here's a verse that you need to meditate on, because this is God's mothering grace. This grace has to enter your experience and be multiplied, because it is only as it enters your experience that you receive more and more and more of its benefit. So we need to not miss out, knowing that sometimes trial is a container for more grace. And that is why, and this this is number one, the nature of mothering grace, its nature is to be multiplied. Now let me open a window on that word. Sophie Tucker was known as the last of the Red Hot Mamas. In 1925, she introduced American women to wearing pants. I think most of you would agree Uh, with that vaudeville starlet whenever she said, I've been rich and I've been poor. Rich is better. (laughs) A bumper sticker says, anyone who says money can't buy happiness just doesn't know where to shop. (laughs) Oscar Wilde reported, when I was young, I used to think money was the most important thing in life. Now that I'm old, I know that it is. Humphrey Bogart said, between puffs, the only point in making money is you can tell some big shot where to go. So money may not solve all your problems, but you can cover them up really well. You say, Alan, where are you going with this? Well, what God does in multiplying grace is make you a spiritual millionaire. That does not mean you do not have problems or struggles. Just like money doesn't mean a rich person doesn't have problems or struggles. 
but it does mean that God gives you a comfort zone in spite of what you go through. That is God's desire for you, and that is Peter's prayer. He does not want us to miss out on multiplied grace, the ongoing dispensing of God's mothering grace to us. So he says we have abundant mercy because of God's mothering grace. Watch verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. We are born, when we get born again, we're born again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter praises God for you being able to be born again today. So if you're here this morning and you are not yet saved, it means God is looking for you. God is looking for you today. Stop hiding. And this begetting or this new birth makes you born again, Peter says, to a lively hope. Now, your version may say living hope, but there is a difference between something that's living and something that's lively. And the difference is, while lively does mean living, it means living an animated life. Okay, plants are alive, but they're not lively because they can't move from spot to spot on their own. You were born the first time, with a hope that was headed for death. You were born physically, and physical life runs out after a few years, like 80 if you're single, and 70 if you're married, and 60 if you smoke, and 40 if you drink, and 30 if you don't wear a helmet on your motorcycle. But if you're born again spiritually, that new life is eternal. So now you have a new hope, which is alive and moving forever based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the children that you have, mothers, are born to a dead hope until they get saved. So even setting aside the idea of heaven and hell, when you think about death, it has to raise fundamental questions. I mean, in light of death... What is the meaning of this life? The the world has a dead, both unmoving and uncertain hope. And all of us who have attended a funeral and been faced with a corpse wrestle with that reality of a dead hope, which is really no better than hopelessness. Grace fills that emptiness of life because it gives you the benefits right now of a future inheritance. So now the older you get, the better you can be, because this is number two. The perspective of mothering grace is upward mobility toward glory, so you will not give up during the painful circumstances in history. The Bible says we have a new hope. We have a better hope. It says we have assurance of hope. We can be rejoicing in hope. This is a blessed hope. We can run in patience of hope. And we abound in hope because we believe in hope. All because we are born again. Verse verse 4 says, 1 Peter 1 verse 4, We are born again to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away. 
So the second law of thermodynamics doesn't apply to it because it is reserved in heaven for you. This is an inheritance from God, which is unconditional, except all you have to do is get saved. That's you trust Jesus for eternal life. That's the only condition. And this unconditional inheritance cannot be decayed, soiled, or lost. That inheritance is perpetually new and being guarded for you. So the James gang also translates that word reserved as held fast, kept, preserved. Now let me illustrate that irrefutable idea. I don't know if you've ever flown on an airline and they overbooked the flight. I mean, they all overbook the flight because they always know somebody's not going to make it to the airport in time and something's going to come up for somebody and so forth. So they over, but, but, but you got this particular flight and everybody arrived. And so the airline had already given away your seat, even though you have a ticket. Well, they owe you. If you have a ticket, as long as you have a ticket, now you may not know this, but they have to compensate you with double fare money. And get you on the next flight. Your inheritance is reserved because Jesus is the ticket. Man, I'm glad that heaven has a seat for me because I'm tired. I'm kind of tired of earth down here. I'm just saying, oh Lord, this this planet is a nice place to visit. I just don't want to live here. Too much pain, too much sorrow, too many changes. Maybe that'd be on my playlist too, I don't know, but... But if heaven is reserved, no one can take my place from me, John 14, verse 3. So no matter what my pain, the not yet sticks to me right now. And nobody can trade it away because the next verse says, verse 5, Who? You. You who are kept by the power of God through faith. Under salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You say, but Alan, what if I stop believing? What if I deconstruct my faith? Well, it's not. It's through faith. It's not your faith. It's not through your faith. It is through the faith of the Son of God. It is through the gifted faith of Jesus Christ. So are you willing to be blown away today? Verse 5 says, it's not just that these things are kept for me, but I am kept for them by the power of God. And, you know, I remember when my kids were little. And I, you know, hold them by the hand. I want to take them someplace and they don't want to go. And so their arm goes limp and, you know, they kind of bend at the knees and stumble along. I found that I could still get them where I wanted them to go because no matter how much they let go of me, I wasn't going to let go of them. So if you are really born again, you ain't going any place but God. So number three, the method of mothering grace is not to keep you by your ability to hold on to God. It is by his ability to hold on to you. We are garrisoned by God's grace. And so Romans 8, 39 nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. So what are we to do until this joint inheritance with Jesus actually comes to pass? Well, look at verse 6. Here's what you do, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. So number 4. The result of mothering grace is to produce joy because of the knowledge of your security. 
in verse 5, we have the not yet salvation, which has not all been revealed, but it, it is already. And in verse 6, we go from the not yet to the right now situation. And right now, we go from manifold trials to those manifold trials being met by multiplied grace. See, right now is necessary. And and it's necessary because you need to be made heavy. The James gang also translates that, caused grief, sorrow, made sorry. And so it's not salvation. Christianity is not just peace in the sky by and by. God brings you peace right now through the pain. You come to church now, you're married now, you go to work now, you deal with obstacles and opposition now. Temptations is defined in verse 7 and means being tried or tested. Manifold means of diverse character. So it's every kind of aggravation. And it's uh, usually when the devil does his work, it's not one at a time. It's everything at once, every kind of proving. Every kind of adversity, that is what is now. But what I need you to know is our third point for study. Your ability to function in the present is tied to your understanding of the joint inheritance you have in the future. And you need mothering grace because your ability to cope with trial in the present is proportional to your ability to rejoice in hope of your future. I mean, you don't give up if you're rejoicing. And, and, and you don't turn away from God and go the other way if you're rejoicing. So grace is the link from your future glorification to your present condition. And if you're not able to make that hook up, holla if you hear me, if you're not able to make that hook up, then grace is not multiplied to you. Grace was the great dynamic of slavery. You know, uh, you know, we're in this situation. Uh, uh, who knows? Who knows what the wording's going to be or the final decision? Even I don't know. But I would suppose the Supreme Court has uh, the ability to make an impact uh, as much as the impact of the Fourteenth Amendment overthrowing the Dred Scott case. Now, it would have been much better if the Supreme Court had overthrown their decision in the Dred Scott case. Uh, but at least, uh, you know, it, it will be something like that. And so we've got, we've got a whole, uh, at any rate, it ends up giving us in this 21st century exactly what happened before Christ's first coming, which was a total polarization of people in the society. But as we look back, grace was what was the dynamic of slavery, because when I read the slave narratives compiled in the 1930s, the great dynamic of their lives was the ability to slide the not yet into their right now and have a lively hope, a movable, a mobile hope. And because of that moving hope, God moved. God ended up doing exactly what they expected him to do all along. So they could sing sing, uh, Swing Low Sweet Chariot on Sunday and be talking about heaven in the not yet, but then sing that same song out in the fields on Monday and be talking about the Underground Railroad that was going to land them at Quindaro 
where right across the river in Parkville, a slave auction was going on. On Sunday, they sang, by and by when the morning comes, and they were talking about the resurrection in the not yet. But then they turned around on Monday and sang, wade in the water, referring to the fact you need to wade in the riverbed to avoid the baying hounds. So they understood that they could work in the now and see the not yet by singing the very same tunes. That is a lively hope. And so finally, in the final analysis, this is number five. The dynamic of mothering grace is faith in the future being transferred as grace for your present trial through your worship. Grace lets us experience the right now in light of our not yet and by and by. But if you do not read your inheritance right, you won't know what you have. And if you do not know what you have, you will not know what grace can give you. So the worst thing you can be is an ignorant Christian. See, the word manifold means whatever trial that you're going through right now, just put its name right in the blank. Just put its name in the place of that word manifold. And even if it's a whole bunch of mess all at once, they all fit into that space taken up by the word manifold. So what about it? Can I, can I do some English Bible exegesis with you today? See, I know on, on Sundays, you know, we come together to worship, but I want you to feel like every Sunday, I want you to feel like you really learn your Bible. So how do we handle trials? Let's do some simple English Bible exegesis uh, before we go. But now I got to warn you first. If you are not walking with God, none of this applies to you. If you're not saved, if you're not yet born again, this doesn't apply to you. But it applies to us. applies to me. So watch verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Now watch. The word wherein means in light of the deliverance and the rescue of verse 5, which is ready to be revealed in the last time if you are saved. So if you are not saved, you never make it to the end, and it will not be revealed to you. So this is just simple English Bible exegesis. So first, this is letter A. Instead of complaining, find your root joy in walking with the Lord. See, grace is free, but God ain't no fool. So you've got an inheritance of God, which is unconditional after you get saved, but your inheritance with Christ is built on and based on you walking in the Spirit. God is not out to fund wickedness with His grace. So second, second, verse 6 says, Ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. This is letter B. Instead of being impatient, realize that all trials are timed. They come for a season, not forever. They are here for a little while, even if they are here for years. So if your trial is still here, it is for one of two reasons. Either the time is not up, or God has not gotten into you and out of you everything he wants. So, verse 6, now for a season, if need be, and this is letter C, instead of getting frustrated, recognize trials are only given... Based on need. Because if need be means, there's no such thing as a purposeless trial. I mean, you may not know the need, but you still should not distrust God. 
that he's giving you the wisest, most loving, most kind thing that could possibly be given in light of his purpose for you in eternity. I mean, he's going to get you. His goal is to get you to that second grand and golden inheritance with crowns and rulership with Christ and get you there in a good way. And he does that through this life. So every trial of your life is there to meet a need in your life for grace. Now, I hear what you're saying right through your head. Well, Alan, I don't need this. Uh, You know, Alan, I sure didn't need that. But but here's what I've discovered. Very few children know what they need. Um, All they know is what they want. Hello, somebody. So what you must do now is assume the need. Assume the need so that you can greatly rejoice in the face of that trial. And you're not rejoicing over the pain. You're rejoicing because your faith sees God meeting a need through that pain, and that is a lively hope. Because if you go fussing and fighting instead of full of faith, then you do not get mothering grace, grace multiplied. Verse 6, if need be, you're in heaviness. So letter D, instead of giving up, see how God is in control. Trials are heavy. They're supposed to be because there's something that's supposed to get you down. Getting you down makes you humble. Getting you down puts, getting you down allows you to find something on the floor you can get up and swing at the devil with. I'm just saying. So they are a weight to be born because they make you stronger. So rejoicing does not deal with your emotion. It deals with your faith because rejoicing is faith in God's grace for making you stronger through the grief. So in the final analysis, verse 6, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And this is letter E. Instead of being discouraged or confused, understand how trials are varied. No matter what color your day, God is able to recolor the circumstance by grace. Trials are varied to match our strength and match the spots where we need to be made stronger. So the storm always brings a rainbow with a pot of grace. Saw somebody yesterday, and they had a smartwatch, and it had on the face of it, the face of the smartwatch was, uh, was like rainbow. I thought, man, that looks really cool. I think I want to do that with my smartwatch. And I know, you know, what, what everybody, you know, why should I let somebody else steal God's sign from me? Because he's got a rainbow over the storm with a pot of gold at the end, which is not like the gold we have down here because it ain't gold that perishes. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? Why does God do this to us? Well, verse 7, Peter says it is done that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Isn't that how you want your faith to be found? Why do you just want your faith to be found, I don't know what, on the floor, lacking, um, insufficient? Um, I mean, don't you want your faith to be found that way when Jesus comes back? So your faith is being put on trial right here. And it's not the faith. This is not talking about the faith you got saved with. But this is our fourth point for study. 
The faith being tried is your faithfulness. The day-to-day trust that you have in the Word of God, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and the mothering grace of God to care for you. So this is though he slay me, yet will I trust him faith. And faith in those three things in our fourth point for study. I mean, how many of you who are taking a, a class in our Bible Institute, Living Faith Bible Institute, how many of you would come to me and say, Alan, don't test me, bro. Don't test me, bro. I already know it all. Uh, don't even waste the bandwidth. Just trust me. I know it. I will say, just like Ronald Reagan did to the Russians, I will trust but verify. Uh, because passing the test is kind of proof of what you know. And the process of that test refines the gold, which is more precious than the perishable kind we've got down here. Because this is the gold that survives the judgment seat of Christ, for which you get rewarded. You get a crown. You get rulership, not just leadership. You get rulership with Christ in eternity. So the goal of the divine refiner is to remove so much dross out of your faith that he can see his own face reflected in the metal. So God is going for a goal with you to reflect the character of Christ in your home, to reflect Christ on your job, to reflect Christ being formed in our human community. Why? Because if you have the character of Christ, you'll reflect the glory of God, and that is shining gold. So how must you respond, verse 8, whom having not seen, ye love. So the first thing to do is love Christ, no matter what you see. When your life caves in, love Jesus. When the world goes crazy, love Jesus. When there's pressure on your job, use it to make you love Jesus. What do I mean by loving Jesus? Seeking his glory through his grace. That is loving Jesus. Seeking the will of the one you love through his word. That is loving Jesus. Verse 8, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing. Right now, not yet seeing, but yet believing right now. Notice how we do both those things simultaneously. We love and we believe in spite of not seeing Jesus yet. Our love for Christ is not based on physical sight. It's based on spiritual fellowship and scriptural obedience. Why? Because we trust. That's faith. Because verse 8, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. How do you rejoice in Christ? You should rejoice in Christ by thanking him for what he's doing in your life. Even when you don't know what that is. Lord, I'm going through it right now. But I'm going to love you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to find my reservoir of joy in you and not in my happenstance. Therefore, when other people see me, they're going to see me praising you. And that's glory. And when God meets you with grace, that's how you know he's real. There'll be joy and a strength and tranquility and stability that the world does not know and cannot explain. You know, I remember taking the girls uh, on occasion to the doctor's office uh, when they were young. 
And I saw how every good pediatrician has a playroom in the waiting room. They have a playroom in the waiting room. Now, even though that does not change the amount of time that you wait, it changes the way that you wait in that time. Grace built a playroom in the sick room. Grace places you in in your heart a spot where you can enjoy God no matter what you're waiting for, no matter who you're waiting with, no matter where you're waiting at, no matter how long you got to wait. He brings in the coloring books of heaven and he gives you crayons of grace. But if you forget you've been born again for the future, you never enjoy the present right now. Oh, boo. Satan wants to use trials to bring out the worst in you. God wants to use those same trials to bring out the Christ in you. And the differentiating factor is grace. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you ready for grace today? All of heaven will rejoice because it glorifies Jesus for you to trust in his finished work on the cross to save you. For you to trust his promise, promise, for you to have assurance of eternal life because you believe in him. It is your faith which activates God's grace to save you. And if you trust Jesus Christ today for what he promises, you will be given everlasting life through a new birth, a spiritual birth on the inside. And all you have to do is pray on the inside. Just pray right now. Just pray and say, Jesus, I trust you today for eternal life. I believe, so I receive. I'm receiving right now exactly what your word says, exactly what Jesus promises me. I claim it today for myself. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. Make me born again in Jesus' name. And if you give Jesus your life, he'll give you his life. And the Holy Spirit will fill you as you get into his word. And then God's work, God's word does the work in your life through every trial, which carries you into God's purpose for you in eternity.